Uh, but I'm the campus minister here and not the IT guy. And um, I just want to say that if you're here, and especially if you're here and you know that you're not a Christian or you're not someone that is familiar with this stuff, or but you've come and you've taken the risk to come and to sing songs with us about like passing through fire and water and uh, <laughs> hear me talk about Jesus for a little bit, uh, I want to say especially welcome to you uh, for taking that risk and for being with us tonight. And that if you ever want to meet with me and ask me more questions about these things or seek to know more of these things, I'd be happy to listen to some of your questions and try to give you as good a response as I can. I've not always been a Christian myself. I've certainly not always been a pastor. And uh, I would love to talk with you about those things. So if you're here and that's you or you know someone uh, that would be willing to meet with me and talk about that stuff, please let me know. I'll be here after the service and be happy to talk. So that said, let's dive into this. Um, We are going through the book of Exodus this semester, and it's the second book of the Bible, uh, Genesis and then Exodus. And it's the story of how God rescues his people from slavery, which may not sound super relevant to people who are not uh, physically in bondage now. But there's so many ways in which people have read this and looked at it and said, this is actually like maybe one of the most applicable Old Testament books there is. Um, And so we're reading it this semester. And we are in uh, Exodus chapter 12, the Passover. So I'll read this and then we'll get started. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make for your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the little of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, help us uh, to know you more deeply and more sincerely tonight, uh, through your word and through the work of your spirit. I know that at times when we approach uh, pieces of scripture that are hard, uh, ones like this where there's all these things that are unfamiliar to us about uh, you telling us to, or telling your people to make a feast, um, to eat it, getting ready to go and leave on a long journey. We can wonder, how is this applicable to my life? What is this about? Help us to see the application as Jesus. Help us to see him as beautiful, as true, as believable is a thing most necessary for us and for our lives. Help us to live under him and sit with him and with one another all the days of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Cool. Um, so, 
there's a show on Netflix. I've watched a little bit of it. I can't say a ton. Uh, all, the, all the episodes of it. But it's called Black Mirror. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Kind of a uh, Twilight Zone style show. Where all these episodes are kind of these self-contained stories. And one of the episodes I thought was really, really good uh, was one where uh, this young woman is living in a not-so-distant future uh, where technology has run rampant, a black mirror, if you will, of our future. And uh, I know, right? <laughs> and she's in the world that she's living, there's this app that everybody's got. And what happens in this app is that you're constantly rating the people around you, and you're being rated all the time according to every single social interaction. And it's a rating of one stars to five stars. And the five-star people are elite, and they figured out how to work the system, and they are beautiful, and they are hardworking, and they've got it together. And their life is just this unbroken boulevard of green lights. And wherever they go, they can get jobs, they can get housing. Everything just kind of works for them because they're five-star people. And on the other end, there's the one-star people for whom nothing works. And they have the worst jobs in society, and you don't want to be the one-star person. It's pretty clear in this. And the whole premise of this show, or this episode, turns around this young woman who's like a 4-2 out of 5, so like good but not great. And she wants to become a 4-5 so that she can get into this new kind of housing development for a really cheap rate. And she works on how she laughs. She's constantly thinking about how she's coming across to people. I mean, it's this person that on the outside looks awesome, but on the inside, as you see kind of her own private life and, you know, getting out of the shower and staying in front of the mirror and trying to figure out what do I, what do I say, what do I do, how do I come across this radically insecure person. And you can imagine that as the show goes on, that what happens is that everything starts to spiral more and more out of control for her. Like she's trying to go to this wedding, and one thing after another after another happens, and she gets downgraded through the app. And it's frightening. It's terrifying. And you could, I watched that, and I was like, well, that's just like, that's science fiction, weird stuff, like not going to happen. Facebook-style app is not going to happen like that, I don't think, I hope. <laughs> Certainly not Instagram. Definitely not Instagram. Uh, but I heard a story recently from one of my uh, friends who's another RUF campus minister about his intern. And she was in New York City, and she was trying to hail an Uber ride. And she kept trying to get four-star Ubers, but she kept getting two-and-a-half or three-star Ubers. And she was talking to a friend of hers who said, you know, maybe – like." I don't know what the deal is. Like, I, I keep asking for four stars, and I'm getting two and a half stars. It's so weird that I can't get any of these better-graded Ubers, like, in New York City. And her friend kind of pulls her aside and is like, you know, it's because you've been downgraded on Uber. Which is a thing. I didn't know about it, but it's a thing. And what had happened was she made somebody mad on Uber, and they downgraded her so that she couldn't get the good Uber rides. Like, this is real, y'all. I'm just, I'm just warning the alarm. I'm warning you. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. But I tell all this because I think what those things put their finger on is this undercurrent in our story where so much of our life is this pursuit of 
you know, this idealized version of me that everyone is seen, bowing down to, and we work so hard for that person. We want to be a five-star person. And we're, we're living in this cycle where like, we feel like we're well on our way to five stars. And then something happens, and it's like, well, now I'm back at one. And it feels like this thing that was supposed to offer us all this freedom. Like, you're just going to work really hard, and you're going to nail it, and you're going to look perfect inside, and it doesn't matter about the inside as much. You're going to look perfect on the outside, and it doesn't matter about the inside as much. Like, that's going to be freedom for you. But then it turns out that in an endless sea of people, there's always one more person to please. And there's always one more thing to do. And there's always another thing that could be more glamorous to add to your resume. And this thing that was supposed to give freedom actually winds up making us feel like we're slaves. And we're trapped. And it's suffocating. And I want to say that tonight, if you feel that way, you're not the first person to feel that. And that what the Bible is offering, what God is offering through his story here, is real freedom from that sort of slavery. That God has something much better for you. And as people who live in a world where this quest for significance through merit ends up as slavery, what God is offering to us is a new life and a way out of slavery through old faith, an old, old faith, like what you're seeing here, and then a new identity. So those are the two things I want to talk about tonight. An old faith and a new identity. So let's start with that. First, he gives us an old faith. Think about this. Imagine that you're not just reading Exodus, but you're actually living in Exodus. And you don't know that Moses is like the Moses yet. Like he's the big deal that he'll be. And you don't know exactly how things are going to turn out. Like for you, as you were, as you were saying, walking next to Moses, y'all are walking to the courtroom of Pharaoh. It's not like, oh, this is just kind of this perfunctory thing. We're going to go say to Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. And he's not going to do it. And <laughs> that guy's hosed. You know, like that is not... Your experience in this. That's not Moses' experience in this. I mean, he's got to be walking in here and thinking to himself, okay, we've had nine plagues. The Nile became blood. Hailstones were falling out of the sky. Cattle, like livestock was just killed. People were covered in boils. What more are we going to have to do here? Like it looks like almost from his stance, like I'm not sure this is going to work. We've had nine of these things. You're telling me the 10th one is going to be the final one that gets it? And to that, God says this. He says, you know what, Moses? This is what I want you to do, man. I want you to tell everybody to get a lamb. And I want you to kill that lamb. I want you to have a feast with your friends. And you're going to want to roast it. And then you're going to take its blood and you're going to paint it on the doorway of your house. I don't want you to like have that feast and sleep in your house that night, and that's how you're going to get out of here. And you could say, like, wait, what? Right? <laughs> that's how you're going to set us free? Like, they're either going to get out of slavery through this, or they're not. And this final plague that God's going to send is the death of the firstborn, where he kills all the firstborn of people and livestock in Egypt. But as, if you're an Israelite, the way that you get out of that is by eating a meal with each other? With a lamb? Look, that feels so counterintuitive. That for you, if you were seeing that, everything in you would be screaming, but we're still slaves. But we've had like nine of these crazy plagues, and it hasn't worked yet. 
And your answer to that is for me to eat a meal with my family? Like Thanksgiving or something? And to like paint the blood of this lamb on our house? And what God is calling people to do is to live by faith. And that is an old, old thing. And you feel that all the time. Because you live in a world where people are saying, you know, like, don't you know that religion is this thing that is just incredibly divisive and is going to blow the world up? Even though I would say it's not. And it doesn't have to. Don't you know that everything that you believe is just this made-up thing and if you just sit with me in my classroom for like 10 minutes, I'll just poke all these holes in it and your whole worldview gets blown up. And God is saying, I need you to live by faith. I mean, you'll feel this every time that you walk into here. Because you get up in the morning and you're still the same you. And you wake up and you scroll through your Instagram and you check some Snapchats. And you stand up and you start to think about the wild blizzard that is your schedule for the day. And you go out and you do all the stuff you've got to do. And sometimes there's this voice in your head when you slow down of like, why do I worry so much about what people think about me? Why do I feel like this that judgment is just bearing down on me all the time? And then you speed up again so you don't have to hear that voice. And then you come in here and we sing some songs and you listen to me stand up and talk to you about some random piece of scripture, <laughs> like Exodus, <laughs> and connected to Jesus. And it's like, okay, God, you're telling me that you're going to change my life through sitting here in this room and hearing a guy talk to me about Jesus. And that's the most important thing for me to do and to be shaped by. When all this other stuff is saying, be shaped by me, be shaped by your grades, be shaped by our expectations, be shaped by this quest for beauty or significance or power. And you're telling me that I need to be shaped by Jesus? That's how you're going to save me? That's how you're going to save the world? Like all this guy has is love and Jesus. And that's how the world's going to get saved. God hands you an old, old faith. And he says, live by this. Look, Think about this. He gives the people a meal and then friends to eat it with. He tells them, mark the date on their calendar. This is your new, new year. Like from now on, you will do this forever. And this is your new, new year. It's a feast they do forever with one another. And what God is saying is that the faith that he gives is an actual flesh and blood faith that you do in your body with other people. That living by faith is really actually about your life. And the way that you live your life. And all the things that are part of that. This is why when we come into RUF, we never say, you know, God, help us to leave everything at the door and just come in here and just be with you. Because what God wants us to do is actually to bring everything from out there into here. And to take it and turn it over in faith with one another. And say, God... Will you help me to understand what it means to be shaped in this meritocracy and to be shaped by a quest for merit and to have all the fears that I have and all the anxieties that I have, all the pain in my life, all the joys in my life, the things that I hate about myself, the things that people tell me that I should love about myself, my fear of the future, my, my pain for my past. God, help me to understand what that means. We don't ever pray, help us to leave that stuff out there. Because real faith is actually about that stuff. 
Real faith is God actually doing stuff like that with that in your life. Look, this is why if you consider yourself a Christian, and I don't assume that everybody here is, but if you consider yourself a Christian and you're not baptized, you should join a church and you should get baptized so that you can be marked out body and soul as one of God's people living in the story that God is telling about the world. Because real faith has always been about you, body and soul, getting put back together and living into the story that God is telling. Look, faith, at least biblical faith, is not a leap into the dark. But faith is a step into the light. It's God saying, you know, have faith in what I've done and said and live according to that. Look, there's nothing special about what Israel does here when they celebrate the Passover. They have faith in what God has done in these plagues, that what Moses said is true. And then they respond to that by doing what God commanded them. You want me to kill a lamb? Eat with my family? Paint the blood on the door? Sure. That seems to be what you want me to do. I'll do it. This is why faith isn't a feeling where we get hyped up one week and then it goes down and then we get hyped up again. Like, they weren't hyped when they were killing a lamb and eating it. It was probably, like, a fun family thing. But, like, it wasn't hype, right? (laughs) And faith isn't shutting your eyes to reality. Because they were still slaves. They were still in Egypt. They were still getting hammered by this genocidal maniac named Pharaoh. And they followed God and listened to what he had to say. So it's not shutting your eyes to the dark either. But faith is acting according to what you know. Because you trust what God has told you. I don't know if you've seen this movie or not. Um, It's actually based on a book, but it's called uh, The Big Short. I don't know if you saw it. It's got Christian Bale in it from Batman. Uh, <laughs> Steve Carell from The Office is in it, but it's like one of those more serious, dramatic roles for Steve. I call him Steve. That's what he is on my phone. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have his phone number. I wish I did. Um, but in it, Christian Bale's character is this guy named Michael Berry. And Barry becomes convinced as he kind of crunches the numbers and he's running this hedge fund and he's looking at the stock market that, you know, everyone is saying, it's red hot, it's red hot, invest, 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 buy, 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 buy. And he looks and he says, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. And so he goes against what everybody says, and he goes and sits down with, like, Goldman Sachs, and he's like, give me as much money as you can give me so that I can bet against the stock market. And all the Goldman Sachs people are like, is this ethical? Can we do this? Can we take this guy's money like this? And, of course, they say yes. And... (laughs) And he bets hard against the stock market. And he goes with the numbers that he's crunched and the sense that things cannot continue in the way that they're continuing. And if you watch the movie, like there's this whiteboard in his office where the value of his company is put every day. And as the stock market keeps going up and up and up and up and up, the value of the company on the board goes down and down and down and down and down. Until the day that the stock market collapses in 2008. And then he walks in to his office, wipes out the previous number, and just writes a new number. And it's like zero, 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 zero. And just adds zeros and zeros. Because suddenly his company is worth so much. And that is living by faith. That he took what he knew and he stepped into the light. And that's what God calls us to. 
is to take what you know about Jesus and the Bible and to live according to that. So if that's an old, old faith, then what's a new identity that he gives? Do you have like a thing that you're known for? Like are you like the athlete kid or the art kid or like the school kid or the foreign language kid? I don't know. I was like uh, my I was like sub sub specialty in college. We were like the sort of cool Christians who got invited to like cool parties, but like <laughs> that was like our sub specialty. Uh, <laughs> but there's lots of things. Um, what's your thing? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, what, like, what's the thing that, like, I think of myself as and I think that other people think of me as? Look, the thing that God wants his people to be known for is that they shelter under the blood of this lamb. Because when God enters into Egypt as this Lord and this judge, Israel's problem is no longer, what are we going to do about the genocidal maniac problem? Their problem is suddenly, how are we safe before God's holiness and justice when it comes to our sin? Like, none of these people are saying, you know, God, it's me. Like, I know Moses. I'm descended from Abraham. Like, I'm one of your people. Like, it's me. Like, that is not their response. That's not God's response either. Our response to God's holiness cannot be, you know, it's me. God's just going to be okay with me. That just does not check out. That for any person to stand in the presence of God requires something outside of them to make them acceptable. Something for them to shelter under. Look, we talk about the gospel as good news. That's literally what gospel means. But there's a bad news that comes with the gospel as well. And the bad news that's front-loaded on that is that no one can stand before God on their own. Like, He is holy. He is just. And that is everybody. I mean, God loves people, but he loves them in spite of who they are, not because of, of what they're doing. I mean, think about the blood here in twelve thirteen. God doesn't say, when I see you, I'll pass over. But he says, when I see the blood, when I see that something innocent has died for you and covers you, then I will pass over you. And I'll be at peace with you and your loved ones. Like, this is why, this is this acknowledgement of that evil and justice works kind of both ways. That in a fallen world with fallen people, no matter the level of oppression and injustice that you or I have suffered, or that other people have suffered, there really aren't innocent groups or innocent individuals. And that is certainly true of God's people. I mean, just a quick survey of church history is enough to show you that God's people are pretty tainted in themselves. And Israel here is having to say that our thing is not that we are oppressed or that we're slaves or that we're the kind of people that can work really hard in a desert without heavy machinery and air conditioning. But our thing is that we are people that are covered by the blood of this lamb. And that is all God's people. Ultimately, there are only really two types of people. That there are people who will die for their own sin and be judged for that. And there are people for whom someone else dies for their sin. And that's just the only way that it goes. Look, here's how I would wager most people when they read the Bible, whether they grew up with it or not, look at it. That in the, the first part of the Bible, what Christians typically call the Old Testament, 
God is harsh. He was mean. He loves to judge. Like, it's his thing. He's really into it. And in the New Testament, the later part of the Bible, God is really gracious and kind and sweet and just kind of rolls with it. And he hates to judge. And that one of those gods works by the law, the other works by grace. But Jesus doesn't look at the God of the Old Testament that way. Like all the, all the Bible stories that Jesus is reading and doing devotionals out of and memorizing, like he, he's doing that out of the Old Testament. The people who wrote the New Testament after him, they didn't see God that way. They see it as this long, continuous story. Because here's a better way to think of it. It's not that there's two gods. It's that it's like in the Old Testament, in Exodus, you're in this dark room. And you're bumping into all this stuff. You're bumping into God's holiness. You're bumping into God's justice. You're jumping into like legitimate acts of grace where he's like rescuing people from slavery. And there's not a lot of explanation in the midst of that. It's like you're in this dark room and you're bumping into all this furniture and you can't see what's there. You can't see the full story of what's happening. But then Jesus shows up and John's gospel says that he's the light of the world. And it's not just he's the light of the world, but he's the light of God's word too. That he makes that dark room bright so that you can understand what is going on here. So John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is hanging out with his disciples one day. And he sees Jesus just walking by and he looks and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That this guy Jesus is the real Passover Lamb. That's how it looks to John the Baptist. That's what the New Testament is saying. And what this means for us is this, is that the first thing that you need from Jesus is not a teacher or an example. That the first thing you need from Jesus is his blood. And I know that sounds dramatic and over the top. But God's primary goal for your life is that you be covered by Jesus, that you'd shelter under his life. Because our tendency as smart, hard-working, forward-thinking people tends to be, you know, I bought a day planner. I've mastered Excel spreadsheets. I'm looking at my calendar. I think, you know, if you tell me what the problem is, we can work on this thing and I can get my hands around it. And if we put enough of us in the room and all kind of move together, we can all get our hands around it. And to that, God says, this is just not a problem that you can handle that way. That Jesus had to die for your Excel spreadsheets and your day planner. And he had to die for your forward thinking. Even for the good stuff, that, I mean the really good stuff that we do. Like when you sometimes like, feel like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, watch another episode of How I Met Your Mother. I'm going to put that on hold right now. And I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read the Bible. And I know that if I read it for like 15 minutes, I'm not going to understand what it says. It's a really hard book. But I'm going to do it because I feel like I need to do it. And I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to pray a little bit. And, like, I'm giving this my best shot. And you really are. And you need to know that Jesus died for that too. Not just for our bad stuff, but for our good stuff. That the whole of your life needs to be covered by his blood. The whole of your life needs to be sheltered under him. Look, If Jesus is just a good guy, then his life is really of no more help to you than any other good guy who ever lived. 
And the message of his life is just try harder. Be like me. Get your stuff more together like I was. You know, just be Jesus. What would Jesus do? Do that thing. That's, that's the only thing you have to answer. But if Jesus is who the gospels say that he is, if he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the thing to which this Passover lamb is pointing to, then first and foremost, Jesus is the Savior of people who are enslaved and people who are helpless and people who cannot save themselves and who know that. Look, it is not as though we are the first group of driven, get-it-done people. You don't build cities in the desert without heavy machinery and no AC and not have some folks that can get it done, right? You can imagine someone saying, okay, so I need to pack all my stuff and we're going to leave slavery and leave Pharaoh and we're going to get out of here. And the first thing I do, I know I got to do is I've got to like shelter in the blood and eat this lamb. And, but then, okay, what do I need to pack? How long is this thing going to be? Uh, what is the next thing? And to that, God says, I need you to be under the blood of the Lamb. And I don't want you to ever pretend that you get over that. I want this to be a meal that you eat forever. I want this to be something that you teach your children. We just never get over the blood of the Lamb. No one ever gets over the gospel. There is no next thing. There is no... No other thing that we will move on to and conquer. There is only learning about and resting in and enjoying this thing together. Which is that Jesus Christ looked at us and shed his blood for you and for me and that we shelter under that. That everyone who comes to him in faith feeds on that and shares in that, is shaped by that, and is covered by it. Look, are you afraid of the future? Do you have all these expectations for your life where it's like, I've got to get these things done. I've got to be this kind of person. I need to write a novel. Like, I need to make six figures and be a doctor in Africa and cure malaria. And if I don't, man, my life is a waste. Do you fear the future? that you might not become the person that you really, really want to become. Jesus Christ died for your future. And if your whole of your life is in his hands, and he died for it, it's going to be okay. Not a hair will fall from your head apart from his will. He loves you. He's for you. It's not going to go to shambles. Are you killing yourself to try to become a five-star person? Are you lamenting this first semester where it feels like, you know, everything that I thought college would be is true, but it's also much, much, much harder and lonelier than I thought it would be? Where are my people? Who is for me? If Jesus Christ died for you, he is for you. Shelter under his blood. Live in his life. Look, killing yourself to become a five-star person is just never going to be enough for you. It'll never justify you to yourself. It'll never justify you to your parents. It'll never justify you to the expectations of the people around you. 
It'll never give you that sense of peace and calm and satisfaction that you long to one day experience. But when you know that God looks at you and says, I'm satisfied with you, there's nothing more for you to do. It's finished. It's over. Live with me. Enjoy me. Have this feast of love with these people for forever. When you can sit and you can say, I know that that's true of my life. That's who I am. That's my identity. That's where real peace comes from. That's where real rest comes from. That's where hope and a life fulfilled comes from. In small things and in big things, it's that we shelter under the blood of Jesus. And that's our invitation to you. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to live under the blood of Jesus Christ. That he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world and takes away our sins. That he is the one in whom we deal with all truth and beauty and goodness in the world. And that we can approach you with filthy rags and broken hearts. And just radically immature ways of dealing with ourselves and our friends. And we can have peace. And that's not because of anything inside of us, but it's because of everything inside of him. Help us to live under that, to rest in that, to enjoy that, to have true peace inside and outside because you've loved us and given us your life. In your name we pray. Amen.